Well, I do have a message this morning. You praise we try to preach today. Text is going to be out of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7, Lord willing. Revelation chapter 2. When you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Revelation chapter 2. Start with verse 1. And here the Bible says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Please help us as we try to preach. God, know your word will not be returned unto you void. It will go out and accomplish that which you please. And God, we're just praying for that today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I want to establish, first of all, who the Lord is speaking to and speaking of. When he says here, the angel of the church at Ephesus. The angel, of course, uh, is the, uh, a word for messenger, is what angel means, actually. It's a messenger. And so in this instance, this angel he's referring to is most likely the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He would be the one that would stand and read Scripture. He would be the one who would lead in prayer. He would be the one who would teach in the synagogue the words of God. And so... Uh, this angel would most likely be the place of a pastor. Uh, scripture tells us that both Paul and Timothy both were at one time pastors, if you will, or elders of the church at Ephesus. Uh, tradition holds it that John, the gospel writer, and John, the writer of the book of Revelation, also was uh, a pastor or an elder at that church at Ephesus. Uh, we know he was there before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos for preaching the word of God. Uh, Ephesus, of course, was the chief city of the province of Asia. Now, the Bible in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation is speaking directly to the seven churches of Asia. Now, when we think of Asia, we think of China. That's not where this is at. Uh, that's uh, the ancient Asia. There these seven churches are in. And it's that area that Paul traveled to as he went and preached there to the people. And churches began starting. And so Ephesus was really kind of one of the major churches of all those that Paul was uh, dealing with. Uh, that was uh, a great commercial center, the city was, there at Ephesus. There were huge theaters and amphitheaters and uh, they had a lot of um, Greek uh, games and 
uh, festivals and things like that that took place in Ephesus. And it was also, by the way, where one of the greatest wonders of the world was built, the temple to the goddess Diana. Now, we know she wasn't a real goddess, but those people worshipped Diana. You may remember that's where they... Uh, they paraded around in in, uh, in the streets when Paul was there and preaching against him because uh, he was preaching against their gods and things. But uh, the Apostle Paul had one of his greatest ministries in this area. He was there for three years preaching the Word of God. And so uh, this was really, the, you could call it the major uh, church of these seven churches, probably the most dominant. It said there in that verse, He that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, he that holds the seven stars in his right hand is referring to Christ himself. He is the one that holds the seven churches, which, by the way, the seven golden candlesticks represent the seven churches there of Asia. And so he's talking to these leaders of the churches, the pastors of the churches, and the churches themselves. And notice... All throughout the Bible, the number seven is very significant in Bible numerology. It, it usually means completeness. Uh, some people call it the God number. Uh, but it is, you know, it's not man's number six, but God's number seven. And it means completeness, perfectness, if you will. And so notice there that Jesus said that he holds these in his right hand. Of course, we know the right hand of God is represents power. And so all power of the church, all power of the preacher, all power of any of the leaderships of the church comes through the Lord Jesus. He holds them in the palm of his hand. Don't ever mistake and think that man has anything to do with the church. Man has nothing to do with the power of God's church. God has the power in the church. God is the ruler of the church. He's the head of the church. Christ is the head. We're simply the body. We're the hands and feet of Christ. We're to do the things, the works that He bids us to do. But Christ is the head of this church, of all churches. And so the leaders He holds in His hands, the churches He holds in His hands, that at any moment if He chose to do so, He could do away with any of those. Look at verse 2. He says, I know thy works and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they're apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and is born and ha has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Now, at this point, it sounds like this is probably the most wonderful church on the face of the earth. And probably when, when this letter was read at that point right there, they were all kind of, you know, beaming. I could see them right now sticking their chest out and holding their heads up and say, Do you hear what the Lord said about us? All the good things that we're doing, our patience and labor and all these things that we're doing. I could just see them right now making plans to, to announce it to the world how great that they are. And you know, that's the way that our flesh does. Somebody brags on you and butters you up and the next thing you know, we're just swelled up. I mean, you think you're something. I remember when I first started preaching. It's been, what, 25, 30, almost 30 years, I guess. And when I first started, I was horrible. I ain't no good now, but I was horrible. And I was mispronouncing words. I was just, I was a mess. And I, I remember my first message, and I preached it. And I was standing at the door greeting people on their way out. And this old lady comes up to me, and she says, Preacher, you remind me of Boyd Bingham. And you all, to, inside my head, I was going, 
I mean, my head, I was, it's a wonder I could get out the door. It, it puffed me up and I, I was already making plans. I was going to, I was going to make me a bunch of cassette tapes and start selling them, going to churches and pre, I was as big as Boyd Bingham in my head because that woman said those words to me. I was puffed up. Boy, it wasn't long before the Lord come and he kicked that stool out from under me. And when I hit, I hit hard. So I, I can imagine this church is making plans already based off all their good things that they're doing and how the, it sounds like they're doing so great. They've got visions of maybe making a plaque and saying, Jesus said we were great. I can see now their plans. They can take out an ad in the Knoxville News Sentinel. Look at us. We're A-plus certified Angus Christians. But, look at verse 4. Jesus brings all their illusions of grandeur to a screeching dead halt. Verse 4. Nevertheless. Oh. (laughs) Nevertheless. Despite what I just said, in other words. Despite all that right there that I just said. Nevertheless. And here is some of the most horrible words to hear from the Lord. I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. Can you see? All of a sudden, I see egos deflating. I can see people going down in their seats right now. Nevertheless. And to hear those words, I have somewhat against thee. I want to tell you right now. I don't want anybody to have anything against me, but I'd rather every single soul in this world have somewhat against me than the Lord have something against me. Because He's the one that matters. Oh, to hear those awful words, I have somewhat against thee. And I could see maybe somebody's sitting there thinking, somewhat against us? Or Really? Have you not seen our building program? Have you not looked at our our bank account and all the money that we have? We're building a family life center, Lord. I can see maybe some thinking things like that. What about our outreach ministry? We just collected 1,500 boxes and take it to the poor children in Appalachia. Maybe they're thinking, well, Lord, we handed out over 500 Bible tracts this weekend in downtown Knoxville. Lord, we just took on four more missionaries. Look at our mission board. Look at our mission support. Look at the things that we're doing. And I can imagine that maybe some people may think things like that. They look at all their accomplishments and everything that they've done and want to boast and brag about it and say, look how great we are. But the Lord said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee and look at what it was thou hast left thy first love back when i was growing up and i was probably five or six years old my mother at that time worked at levi's and she sewed uh zippers in the blue jeans that was her job and she worked second shift and my dad watched us while she was out working but mom uh, also sewed things for us at home. <laughs> One time she made us all homemade suits for Easter. Uh, we were some of the funniest looking people you've ever seen in your life. I was so embarrassed of that thing. But uh, she, she made us homemade suits out of some polyester material that she had. But when I was about five or six years old, she made me 
uh, this little bunny rabbit. She made it out of some red material she'd found. She'd stuffed it. It had the ears. It had the, even glued on those little eyes that wiggle around, you know, when you move it. It had uh, the, the whiskers coming out. And I named it Bugs because Bugs Bunny was my favorite cartoon. And she gave me that little rabbit, and I slept with that rabbit. I, I carried it around with me. I loved that rabbit. I mean, I took care of that thing. I, 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 it was precious to me. I remember one time one of the ears got ripped, and I come crying to mom, Mom, his ears come off, you know. And she got some fishing line and sewed it back on. And so I carried that thing around. I don't know how long it was, probably a couple of years anyway. And over the years, the thing started getting dirty and worn out. And eventually it got to where it was sitting over in the corner. And other things started getting my attention. Hot Wheels cars, Matchbox cars, uh, those little green army men that you used to get at the store. We'd get a whole bag of them, you know, about a hundred. And I'd set them up in the, in the sandbox outside and, and play army. Uh, but all those things started getting my attention, and before I knew it, Bugs was down at the bottom of the of the box in the room, not even thought about it anymore. I didn't pay any attention to it. It was no longer my love. My first love for toys, though, was that little rabbit. But then it became long forgotten because other things had started coming into my life and taking more importance to me. How many of you remember when you first fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ? I can, I can remember it just like it was yesterday. And I know I tell this all the time because it's my testimony. And I, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for my testimony that I was saved just down the street from this church, not even hardly a mile at Elm Street Baptist Church. It's over there at Burgess Avenue and Elm Street, uh, back in 1972. And, uh, what a, I remember when I got saved, I mean, I wanted to tell everybody. I was wanting to call people on the phone, and we did. We called people up. Guess what? I got saved. And I was reading my Bible. I was carrying around a little New Testament they gave me. And, boy, I was reading through that thing. I was getting up every Sunday and singing, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. And I was, I was in love with Jesus. I even went to school. Telling people I got saved uh, or, uh, during the summertime, you know, and I was on fire for him, just six years old, but I was on fire for the Lord, and I loved him, I, and I still do, but I remember when I first fell in love and how close I was, singing, praying, going to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, Wednesday night, all the revival meetings, every special meeting, oh, boy, I couldn't wait to be there. I guess you could say I was head over heels in love with the Lord Jesus. Many of you probably have that same memory of when you first got saved and how closely you were to the Lord, wanted to be close to the Lord. Wake up thinking about the Lord and about salvation and about all those things like that. But then suddenly something happened. You started waking up and the Lord wasn't your first thought on your mind. It was something else. Something else occupying your mind. When you sat down to read something, it was no longer the Lord's book. It wasn't God's word that you were reading, but you found something else that took your interest. It might have been Tom Sawyer. I don't know. I used to like to read those books like that. Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer. My daddy had had a library in our house. He uh, He collected books, and we read so much stuff. But maybe those things started occupying your mind and took more dominance than God's word. 
Maybe instead of praying at night, you started thinking about the next day or thinking about something that happened that day or maybe something you're looking forward to and your mind started drifting off to that and before you know it, you're, you say a few words and then you fall asleep without thinking anything about it. And before you know it, it seems like that feeling that you had when you first got saved is somewhere way out there in the distance. It just don't feel like it did when I first got saved. I don't have the desire to go and call people on the phone and say, let me tell you about Jesus. don't have the desire to, to sit and think about all the things of the Lord. Well, Jesus tells this church here at Ephesus, he said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And so it wasn't that they were doing bad things. It wasn't that they were doing things they ought not to do. But there was something else. He said, but you've left your first love. That first love, you've left it. Look at verse 5. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And so this gets even scarier listening to this. When Jesus tells them they have fallen, now is he talking about fallen from grace? No. You get, you're saved by grace through faith. You're not going to fall from God's grace. God loves you. He's not going to all of a sudden unsave you. You're not going to fall that way. You're eternally saved, but since you can't fall from grace, there's got to be something else. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. In other words, think back on those days of the early times of church when things were first starting out. You were on fire for me. You thought about me and you loved me and you did things special for me. It's sort of like a human relationship. You remember when you first fell in love, you want to do everything. Guys, you, you open the car door first. You, you run around the car and open the door and, and hold the umbrella for, for that girl as you walk beside her. You know, you, you open the doors as they start to enter somewhere. I mean, you're just uh, at their every beck and call. You want to be there because you love them. You want to show them how proud you are of them. You know, and you, you walk around, you, you write love notes and you read them and back and forth and and i even made up songs and poems and i'd send send to her you know all those things back when it first started oh my goodness but remember jesus said remember from whence thou art fallen remember from all those things you used to promise me all those things that you used to be involved in and and all the things that you did for me you got to get back to that he says you must repent and do your first works if you want to make things right again. Just saying you're sorry doesn't quite do it. You can neglect your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it is, you can neglect them and, and not treat them right. And if you say you're sorry, well, that's, that's a good start, but that don't do it. You've got to prove yourself. If you're truly sorry, it will show in your works, it will show. If you love somebody, it's always represented in some type of action. Words really are useless. You can say things all day long, but until you prove it, I don't believe it. And so the Lord tells them they must repent and do their first works, not talk about them. Not going to say, well, I used to do this and I used to do that. Lord, you remember all that, don't you? I think I'm good to go. No, you're not. 
He said, you got to do them. Repent and do your first works if you're going to make it right. And he says, repent. In other words, realize the gravity of this situation, what you've done. You don't want to be that way. Repent of it. And when he's saying repent, it's not just a, okay, I'm sorry, my bad. No, it's a, it's a grievance from the heart. Realizing you are grieving him. You have done something against God and he's got something against you. That's what he said. I have somewhat against thee. You've got to realize how important that is. It's not something you treat lightly. You fell from your first love. What does he say there? He said, or else I will come quickly. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> does that mean he's going to come and put the world to the knee and all of a sudden, no, that's not quite what it means. That's going to happen one day. Uh, the world will come to an end. But he's speaking about the end of that church. Now, that's, that's scary. In other words, Jesus is saying, yes, I know your labor I know your good works. I know all these things that you've done in my name. You're able to discern between the false teachers, and you've run those off that said they were apostles, and they were not. We, I know that. You've been really busy at doing church. Sometimes we can find ourselves guilty of doing church. It's easy. It's easy to do church. You could take somebody not saved, put them in a J.C. Penney suit, put a King James Bible under their arm, send them in with some right words to say, and before you know it, they're brother so-and-so. Look at them. And they can do church. I've known many people that's pretended to be one. Come in, boy, they look like the real deal. They can even talk the talk. But sadly, they don't really walk the walk because they're not who they say they are. And Jesus says, sure, you, you've played church. You've done all these things. And like I said, those were not bad things they were doing. But one of the worst things that we can do for the Lord is to spend all of our time doing things that are not the best things for Him. Even if they're good things. If they're not the best things for God, if they're not what He wants from us, then we ought not be doing them. A lot of churches and a lot of people spend a lot of time doing a lot of busy things in the name of the Lord, which may not be bad things, but they're not the things that God wants them to be doing. And they're spinning their wheels and doing that all day long. What if we'd been doing what God wanted us to do all that time? Not wasting it on what he was not wanting us to do. Well, listen, he says, or else I will come quickly. You can play church all day long, but until you repent and turn back your first love, there's a danger. There's a danger of, of being this way. Over in Psalm 127 and 1, the Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Look, we can do all manner of things in our own strength. And we can boast and brag about it. Many of you probably have great talents and and things you could do for the Lord. And, uh, you know, we could do these things. And we could talk about it and, and brag on it. But unless the Lord is smack dab in the middle of it, it's for nothing. He's got to be right in the middle of it. And he's got to be the head of it too. You're not the head of it. If it's something that that God's laying in your heart, you're not the head of it. He is. And so we go to him and say, God, what would you have me to do? The Lord is not going to build a church, a house. As it says, if he builds a house, he's speaking of church here. 
if people are not really in love with him. Oh, you may do great things. You can build big buildings, get in lots of people, give them all those programs they want. And, you know, you can show movies at 7 o'clock on, on, on a Sunday night and get people in, into the house of God. <laughs> but if God's not in it, what, what use is it? And so why are over 3,000 churches a year closing here in the United States of America? Do you know over 3,000 closing every year? Why are churches all over our land sitting empty today? Sitting empty. Why are the lost not being reached? Why are we seeing such a drastic change in the, in the lives and attitudes and, and culture here in Knoxville, Tennessee? Oh, you got to look around. I mean, in the last 10, 15, 20 years, this place is completely flip-flopped from what it used to be. You know? Now they call it the melting pot. Really? Well, it used to be the Bible Belt. No, it's the melting pot. <laughs> right. Why are entire families growing up and not knowing who Jesus is? Why are little children today able to go out and do all kinds of things in this world, but they're not in Sunday school? I'll tell you exactly why. Because people have left their first love. They've left their first love. What an awful thing to think about. Now, some of you have probably been going here your entire life. You probably, your mama and your grand, grand, uh, mother, grandparents, maybe your great, great parents. I don't know. This church been here, what, 1939 started out. Long time. And, uh, it's been sitting here on this street corner. What is this, uh, uh, Ray over here, um, Bernard and then Bales sitting right here in this little corner. For all these years. And uh, can you imagine what it would be like if the Lord decided to blow out the candlestick? If he decided to say, well, okay, you know what? I've I seen you've done a lot of good things, but, but nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. You've left your first love. You no longer think of me when you're going through your routines and rituals and, and coming into worship. It's all about you. What if, what if all of a sudden that happened? I'm just saying this as an example, all right? Don't anybody think I'm talking about you. I'll tell you what would happen. First of all, the world would absolutely love it to see this church closed. The city of Knoxville would absolutely love to see this church closed. The, the beer joint down the road would absolutely love to see this place closed. The business that their cars park up and down these roads all week long would love to see this church close. You know why? They would mow it down, bulldoze it over, and put a parking lot here so that people have a place to park. They'd love it. Or they would build another beer joint here or something like that. Or they may even take over the building and make a beer joint out of it. You know they're doing that over in England. They're getting old churches and making pubs out of them. You know, we have missionaries over there, the Vandenhurks, and they tell me, you go over there and then that used to be great churches, now they're pubs. They had people coming into their church during services and shooting off fireworks in the service. So things could drastically change right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. They have been. And you may be thinking to yourself, Brother Byron, that could never happen here. Not while I'm around. You remember when I first started this message and I told you in 1972 I was saved about a mile from here at Elm Street Baptist Church? Do you know in 1972 Elm Street Baptist Church was one of the very largest churches in Knoxville? Do you know they had hundreds of people that went there? Do you know you couldn't even find a place to park? You had to park up and down the road to get in that place? Do you know you couldn't even hardly find a seat when you walked in that place? 
40 years later, it closed. Closed. They gave the building away. There was one man left there, and the, and the ceiling was coming down. One man left. They gave it to Green's Chapel. I don't know what they're doing with it. They was going to remodel it, but I don't think they have. So if you don't think it could happen right here at Northside Baptist Church, think again. It happened at Elm Street Baptist Church. Why? Because people left their first love. People left their first love. And it don't just happen overnight. It happens just a little bit at a time. You allow this in. You allow that in. You stop thinking about the Lord's input on this program or that program. Or sometimes it's just programs that causes it. But all these things start adding up a little bit at a time. And so this group says, well, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to go over to this church. So they go. And then you got this group where I don't like that over there. They go. And before you know it, you're sitting around and it's just you and one or two other people. Why? Because people left their first love. They're more involved in the world. They're more involved in other things than they are the things of God. The Bible tells us what we can do about it, though. Jesus didn't pull any punches. He said, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. In other words, just go back the way that you used to be when you were in love with me. Back when we first got together. Oh, and you treated me oh, like, like a king. Treat me that way again. Fall back in love with me because I've never fallen out of love with you. So what about it this morning? Are you still in love with the Lord? Or does he have somewhat against thee? Oh, I would hate to hear those words. Brother Byron, you used to be all right. You know what? When you first fell in love with me, but I got something against you, boy. And if you don't repent of it and go back and do those first works, you know what? I'll just blow you out. I'll blow you out. That sounds harsh. I want you to know that Jesus Christ died for the church. The Bible says he gave himself for it. It said, husbands, love your, your wives like Christ loved the church, like Jesus loved the church, and gave himself for it. Do we love him that much? Well, if we do, we need to repent. We need to rededicate our lives to him. We need to start talking to him every morning, noon and night. The back of the Bible says to pray without ceasing. Instead of thinking of something about the world when you're going through a struggle or a time of, of trouble, think of the Lord. Don't start thinking, what would Oprah Winfrey say about this? What would the Lord Jesus say about this? We need to attend his house faithfully. Every time there's a service, we need to be here if at all possible. But we need to carry out his work. As I said, we are his hands and feet. We are to do the work of the Lord. We are to share the gospel to this lost and dying world. And the church, as I've always said it, is where we come to assemble together with like-minded people. A saved body of believers 
whose goal here is to exalt, lift up the Lord Jesus, to learn his word, and then to depart from this building and go out into this world and shine our light, shine the light of Jesus Christ upon this lost and dark and dying world and tell them about Jesus. That's our, that's what our work is to be. The Bible says in Ephesians 28, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So yes, we're saved by grace through faith. But it went on to say, don't just stop on that verse. Keep going. It says, what? Unto good works. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we should be doing the works of the Lord. If we love him, we're going to do it. And I want to ask you this morning, if you'll stand, I want to pray together. Brother Scott, you come get a song. I don't know your heart. Only the Lord knows it. Maybe you are just like you were when you first got saved and you wake up in the morning thinking about how wonderful Jesus is. I don't know, you may be. But listen, if we have let our love for him uh, start dying or start uh, dimming in our, in our thoughts, and our minds, we need to turn things around. We need to repent of it and go back and do those first works back when you first fell in love with him. I want to ask you today as we we pray together that you pray and ask the Lord to help you. If you want to come to the altar and pray, you're welcome to. I'll pray with you if you want me to. But let's get our hearts right today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you just uh, thanking you for the message. Lord, we know the sincereness of this, God, and how you feel about the church. God, I pray for each one that's in here today. Lord, you know my heart. You know the times that my love has waxed cold. And God, the times that I've not kept you in the forefront of my, my thoughts. God, please, Lord, forgive me of it. Lord, would you put that feeling in our hearts today like we first had when we first got saved. God, when you were all we could think about. Oh, God, may we go back and do those first works. Forgive us, Lord, of our sin. Forgive us of our failures. Lord, and we'll give you the praise for it. Lord, if there's one here today that needs help, would you help them? Oh, God, help them. Help this church. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need help, you come down.